welcome to another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Carruthers, and today my guest is Peter Leonard. Now, he is a remarkable chap, known him for eons. He's a data and technology business consultant and lawyer, but that's not all he is. He was the founding partner of Gilbert and Tobin Lawyers, and he led its technology and data practice over many years. And he also works at UNSW as a professor of practice across the schools of management and governance and information systems and technology management. He has his own company now called Data Synergies. And I've worked with him on looking at how we can manage data better uh, and how we can manage AI better. So he's an all-round good chap and we're going to have a, a chat. Welcome, Peter Leonard. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here, Kate. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we might talk about how AI is changing the world as we know it, and um, in particular, the kinds of challenges I'm seeing around um, how you ensure safe and responsible uses of AI lay it on top of all of those challenges we've been looking at over the last couple of years around um, respectful uses of information about individuals. And by respectful, I mean that respects their rights in privacy and is not excessive surveillance. So we're pretty we're familiar. We're not doing very well at that to start <laughs> before AI, were we? Well, exactly, and that's kind of the point, right, that um, we're in the middle of a work in progress that we've not been doing very well around building data privacy and data security by design and default. And then um, in the middle of all of that hard work that, as you and I know, is work in progress and some people are doing more seriously than others and some organisations don't seem to be doing very well at all, um, everyone is deploying um, AI in various ways, including generative AI that's coming into many organisations by stealth um, and in circumstances where CIOs and other responsible people like you um, are having difficulty keeping control as to who's doing what using that AI in their organisations. So so what are some of the issues that you're seeing emerging in this space, um, particularly from a privacy and data protection perspective, Peter? I suppose the first thing is that many people are um, gaily prompting um public uh, generative AI applications like ChatGPT, Google Bard, um, Microsoft Copilot, um, with personal information relating to um, individuals without consideration of how that information is leaving their organisation and how it might be used um, in That's the... That's, that's a great one. I had a startup come and pitch me the other day and they were using that and I just said, please stop, please don't do that with your proprietary commercial information. Yeah. And, look, it's it's an interesting question because uh, on the one hand you might say, look, this is just a transitional educational issue of, you know, people needing to understand that they shouldn't be doing that stuff. 
Um, and um, the other reason that you might regard it as a transitional issue is that you and I know that fairly quickly we will see um, large language models made available within um, institutions like UNSW um, where it'll be a local instance of the um, large language model that ensures that the data doesn't leave the organisation. Already there. Yeah. <laughs> but but um but but isn't isn't the real issue that people who don't understand the implications of what they're doing now have the power to do stuff, which was always starting to happen with software as a service where people could put stuff in the cloud and not understand it, but now they can do it on the public internet, which is seems to me to be the, the real challenge. So I think there are two challenges. One is that um, we don't know enough about um, the training data that's been used to train the large language models that, um, that organisations can reliably assess whether the model is fit for purpose for the particular task for which the generative AI is being used. And then secondly, there's the issue that um, the generative AI is so easy for anyone to use that it's being used for myriad tasks within organisations that CIOs like you can't even begin to imagine what might be happening um, in some building elsewhere on campus and certainly can't control. Um, and that in turn leads to questions of whether the person that's using the generative AI in that way is placing undue reliance upon what might be very unreliable results. So there's a question, firstly, as to whether the data that was used to train, to train the model that is then generating the result um, through the generative AI was fit for purpose, and then whether the human who is um, looking at the results is unduly relying on what might be a completely unreliable um, output. And that's very different to the kinds of AI assessment that I've been involved with in the last few years, because typically what we've been looking at, um, for example, for the New South Wales government in the AI review committee that I sit on, is we uh, see big IT, project, uh, IT projects involving AI that are brought to us that are specific purpose AI designed and evaluated by us as being fit for purpose or not fit for purpose for um, the particular task for which it's designed. But, of course, that's completely different to this stealth AI coming into an organisation being used for myriad tasks and being relied upon by um, myriad human beings limited only by the imagination of humans as to what tasks they might get um, the generative AI to do. I know, and this space is moving so fast. Like I, I keep telling people that it, it used to move in years and months and now it's moving in hours and minutes. Like I log on in the morning, look at stuff, go to work, log on in the evening and stuff, new stuff's emerged during the day. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it's moving really fast. But what are some of the the issues or some of the ways that people can approach sort of AI safely and responsibly, do you think? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question. I, I suggest to people that um, they need to uh, put the AI in the context of a decision and work backwards from the question of what is the decision for which technology is being used and then evaluate whether introduction of the AI into the decision-making chain makes the decision less reliable or more reliable. And in many contexts, um, the introduction of the AI may even make the decision more reliable, but you actually have to look at the decision chain in the context um, in which the decision is being made and the purpose for which the decision will be used. And let me give you a, a sort of an example on it. Let's assume that it's a doctor in a hospital who's thinking about writing up a discharge summary for a patient and currently would look at the electronic medical records relating to that, that patient and write up a discharge summary out of that. Well, that same doctor might use chat GPT um, to look at those inputs and do a first draft of the discharge summary for the doctor to review. In that circumstance, you've got somebody, a trained medical practitioner who's got um, obligations, uh, professional negligence obligations, amongst others, um, to patients and should be bringing the requisite level of care and has the relevant um, source data there to compare against the summary that the, um, the say, chat GPT, whatever they're using, is generating. So then it's just a question of, well, is the relevant individual properly appraised of the risk that chat GPT might make something up or get something wrong? And do they have the time to properly evaluate um, what the generative AI is presented is presenting to them? And there's always a risk in this, of course, that when you talk about automation, what uh, what is what may often happen is that employers promptly steal the time back that they've liberated for the individual by allowing the individual to use the automation. So, you know, the hospital might say, well, go out and do some more rounds because writing up discharge summaries now only takes half the time, whereas the reality is if you're going to use um, generative AI in this context responsibly, carefully and safely. Well, I mean, you just used chat GPT sort of in the vernacular, I'm assuming, in the place of generative AI because yeah. one would hope that a hospital has their own custom generative AI application that is getting the right inputs because one of the things that I keep talking to people about is an LLM doesn't, a large language model does not know stuff. It only knows what you tell it. And yeah. so you actually need to be able to insert new knowledge, new information into its 
decision-making um, because it only knows what it knows until you've inserted stuff. So, you know, um, what I'm seeing is that that generative AI is going to need to be part of a more, more of a machine learning workflow where you're inserting all of the different inputs at the right time so that you're getting the right kind of outputs um, and we need to be, and we don't understand this space at all. Like it's emerging, it's so new. We don't really know how to do this at scale for enterprises or hospi- big hospitals and stuff. Like it's all very new. So, um, and we've already seen how ChatGPT in particular can hallucinate. So, you know, it just makes up stuff. It made up two new jobs for me when I got it to write a CV for me. Well, that's great. Um, it it augmented uh, your skills. Um, but uh, uh, as an example of how quickly things are moving on this, it was interesting to look at um, the release notes that came with Meta's um, Llama 2 um, three or four weeks ago, and they included quite a, a detailed um, model card um, and a responsible user guide and some quite useful information in there around their so-called open source um, uh, models. And I think that's going to be an interesting trend. So if we look at, say, that hospital example in six or nine months out, I can imagine that what we will see is um, area health services in New South Wales having using... Uh, a third-party um, large language model that they've bought into the organisation pre-trained and assessed uh, for reliability of the pre-trained data and then further trained um, using um, the confidential patient data sets within the organisation, yeah. evaluated by people who are properly skilled to evaluate that, and, and made and, available in that controlled environment. Most of the big vendors have been working on this in the background for years um, with with their large data sets ready because the real problem for all of this is training the models, having enough data. And I was at a dinner last night with a whole bunch of cyber security folks and they were all talking about we must delete all the data and I was like, hold on a sec, we might need it to train some models before we throw it out. So that's that's actually kind of the weird imperative now. People want to throw out data, but then we need it to train the models, otherwise they're not going to be reliable. So it's just it's an interesting paradox that we're in nowadays. But one thing I did want to touch on is what do you think is going to happen in the regulatory space? Well, that's a, a very interesting question because um, there's a number of regulators who I think would like to own this space including the privacy regulator, the ACCC, and um, the ACCC is not a silly choice, actually, because many of the issues around um, AI can be addressed through existing provisions of Australian consumer law, um, uh, amended a bit and tightened up a bit. So, for example, Australian consumer law says that if you make available a software product, it has to be fit for purpose of merchantable quality and you should be making disclosures about known limitations of your products um, that are not misleading or deceptive. 
So one can imagine a world where you might expand some of those provisions to ensure that vendors make full and proper disclosures about the reliability of their large language models or any generative AI applications that they're making available. Um, And that could do quite a bit of work. I'm not a supporter of a concept of a super AI regulator or anything like that because I just... Yeah, look, I think that AI is going to be part of everything that every business in every sector does, and we're just going to have to skill up the regulators in the various sectors to properly address the issues in their sectors. Sort of like computers, like we did with computers. It's the same thing. So it leads me, though, to um, the the question about uh, explainability because that seems to be something that we're going to have to solve um, if we are going to regulate this in a proper way. Yeah, and explainability is an interesting concept, isn't it, because when you look at large language models, there's a question as to what level of explainability you're after Um, it is often not possible to fully explain um, how the large language model is operating. But what you can explain is any known limitations that you've identified um, through the operation of the model, and you can disclose um, the sources of data and known limitations as to data quality, so data provenance issues, around the data that was used to feed and train the large language model. So I don't think that it's... All roads are leading back to data governance, aren't they? Absolutely. And when you look at data governance, you can't look at that alone without looking at the people and the process, the decisions that individuals are making using that data and the technology. So I... It, it goes back even further to, you know, the question you and I have been looking at for years, which is um, you can't evaluate technology without thinking about the people and the processes. In I, 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 the five safes just popped into my head for some reason. I will share a link in the show notes to that. Peter, I'm really conscious you've got to go off and teach uh, a class. So thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. We could have gone on for hours, but uh, I know your time is limited. So thanks very much for joining me. Pleasure, Kate. Good night. That was the end of another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Carruthers. Thank you for joining me. Hope you'll leave a nice review for the podcast and please join us again next time. And that is it for another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Carruthers. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to give the show a nice review and a like on your podcast app of choice. See you next time.